Steam locomotives were some of the most powerful machines ever built. They pulled trains that fueled our imagination. They represented vision, collaboration, ingenuity, customer service, and extraordinary human achievement. But in order to get to their destination, it took someone guiding them through a series of switches in order to get to the main line. Just like leaders today, it takes someone directing them down the right path in order to get to their destination. Welcome to Mainline Executive Coaching ACT, which stands for and Cultural Transformation, hosted by Master Certified Intelligent Leadership Executive Coaches, Michael Bailey and Rich Barron. With over 50 years of successful cultural transformation and quantum leadership development between them. Once again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's show. All right, come back. Come on back. Come on back on to work. Let's what we're going to be talking about. We talked a little bit about this before. Come on back to work, but it's going to be a little bit different this time when we come back to work. And that's what we want to take a look at. What is this difference between what it was, what it is, what we thought it was going to be, and what it actually is? And some for some people, it's going to be quite different. And some for some people, it's going to be very, very challenging. This is Rich and Michael with Mainline Executive Coaching, ACT, ACT as in action. Also, AC stands for and cultural transformation. And what we're talking about today is definitely about cultural transfer, transformation and how leaders must change in leading their organizations and their teams. So here's what we want to do. We've got a great we've got a great person here with us today. It's we've got Ted Turney. He's got a great background in in uh, in both in, in industry and also a great family background when it comes to uh, the military. So we're going to be talking about this thing called the Stockdale Paradox. This is what we'll be talking about today. So let's start here. Ted, tell us what is the Stockdale Paradox and how exactly does it work? What's its history? Well, this, the Stockdale Paradox, and I'll just give it to you in, in Admiral Stockdale's words first and then answer that other question. He, he said he prefaced his remarks with saying this is very important. He said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. And for those who don't know Admiral Stockdale and why this philosophy and how it was formed, uh, he was a a naval aviator, was one of the the earliest folks taken prisoner in in Vietnam. In 1964, he was shot down over North Vietnam and uh, dropped into a village, parachuted into a village, was uh, beaten almost to death by the villagers, uh, handed over to the NVA, where he spent almost eight years as a POW, uh, literally tortured uh, almost every day. Uh, And he was the highest ranking American POW. So he was dropped into, you talk about culture transformation. When he got to the prison camp, he found that many of the prisoners had really given up. These men felt uh, lower than dirt because many of them had cracked under torture, which everyone will do at some point. But they felt like they were traitors to their country, traitors to themselves, traitors to their fellow servicemen. They were down in the dumps. There was no organization. And when he got there, he started to put in place some amazing practices and attitudes with these men. Together, they decided to take control of their situation, whatever little bit they could control. And let's face it, there was very little they really had control of, but they decided whatever we can control, we will control to the extent of instead of now being 
folks that, that just weren't strong enough to hold up to torture, they turned the tables. And their attitude was now, if you want this kind of information, I will make you torture me for this long. If you want this type of information, I will make you torture me in this way. They were no longer victims. They now took charge. Whatever their percent was, they took charge of it. He developed an ingenious way to communicate, to keep up morale, even when they put them in, in separate boxes and solitary. He himself led by example. He had decided if he was going to survive, he had to maintain his health, mental and physical. So he decided he would eat whatever Whatever maggot-infested food they gave him, he would eat. Many people would reject it until their bodies got too weak, and when they were forced to eat, they couldn't handle it. Uh, so because he ate, because he kept his mind active, and because he exercised, he looked good physically. And so the North Vietnamese decided to use him for propaganda. They were going to put him on a television show and, and, and see, look how, how good these people look, how healthy they are, how, how well we're treating them. And he realized that, that he couldn't let that happen. So uh, prepping for the show, they had him in a small room, told him to shave, wash up. Uh, he, he did that and, and uh, tore the razor apart, sliced his head up, thinking that would stop him. He wouldn't look good. They saw that. They beat him severely below the waist where it wouldn't show, cleaned up his head and put a hat on him. So he's thinking, well, that didn't work. What now? The only other thing in that room was a wooden stool. So he took the stool and he beat himself in the face till he's bloodied and bruised and they could not use him for propaganda knowing that he would be tortured again. Just, just an amazing guy and had such an impact on, on these men. One point when he was in solitaire after a particularly brutal torture session, um, this, this, this tap code of, of uh, communication that he'd come up with, the other prisoners sweeping the yard swept their brooms in cadence to that tap code. And they sent him the message over and over again, we love you. After the war, Many of these men credited him with their lives. So we would not have survived if he had not come in here and changed our culture and our outlook. And and, and this, I mean, I could talk about this guy for hours. I mean, that, that that's just a snippet of the wow. kind of guy he was. So so that was his paradise. He was interviewed uh, many times, but but in a casual interview, actually, someone asked him, "How did you survive?" And that's when he said, "This is very important." And he gave that paradox: never lose faith that you will prevail in the end, but be completely honest with the most brutal, brutal facts of your current situation. Yeah, that it is. There it is. And we're kind of taking this to this extreme with the Stockdale paradox mm. back from the COVID and all that kind of stuff. And then we'll bring it back down and you know, how do we handle it on an everyday basis? But we need people that inspire us, that help us lift up to higher heights than we ever imagined. Not only possible, but we ever imagined what would ever be required of us. Talk to us, Rich, a little bit about the the, uh, the optimists in the Hanoi Hilton. And uh, you know, I, I found this a very interesting uh, part of his story. And he, he talked about the optimists. They were the ones that really wanted to pick everybody's spirits up, pick their own spirits up. And they would say, you know, it's okay. We're going to be out of here by Christmas. No problem. And Christmas would come and go and they'd say, no worries. You know, we're going to be out of here by Easter. We're going to focus on Easter. We're going to be out of here by then. Easter would come and go and they would come, you know, they would continue to do this. You know, Thanksgiving's coming. Don't worry about it. We're going to be out of here by Thanksgiving. And as time went on, eventually they died of a broken heart. They were the ones that died. They gave up. So it wasn't the optimist that made it out of it. It was the ones like what uh, Admiral Stockdale is talking about, they never, never gave up looking at the end. 
and focusing on, like you said, the very harsh realities. Uh, Stephen Covey, another principle there, um, begin with the end in mind. You know, you could maybe unpack that and look at a little bit how that relates to what we're talking about here. But again, it was the optimists, the ones that said, look, we're going to be fine. We're going to get through this in a couple of weeks, or we're going to get through this in a couple of months and we'll be gone. They, their hopes for that eventually, you know, was their undoing. Yeah. The company, what, what, what Ted's talking about, what you're talking about, a little bit different spin. Ted's talking about Admiral Stockdale saying, okay, optimism is one thing about it's kind of pie in the sky thing mm-hmm. but being optimistic it really is about what's the best thing we can do yeah how do we stay connected to each other how do we communicate to each other how do we how do we you know bounce back from being tortured how do we make them work for it how we just don't allow ourselves to become victims that's that sense of what's the best thing we can do and then coupling it with the reality of the plan of this is what we're going to do these are the skills that we're going to employ so that we can stay there so we in some level and stay in charge. Um, well, that's why you have to apply both sides of the Stockdale paradox. Yeah, yeah. Right, both sides are necessary. The, the Stockdale, you could say, was an optimist. He never lost faith, but yeah. he didn't let it delude him. Right, exactly. And Viktor Frankl discovered the same thing yeah. when he was in a concentration camp. So let's talk Let's talk about another very interesting individual that was at that Hanoi Hilton. We'll ask you to talk to us about that here, Ted. What about Commander Jeremiah Denton and his TV debut? Is- yeah, that, that's that's another amazing story from these guys. You know, the, the the ability of the human spirit to just hold on has just always been inspiring to me. Denton's the same kind of guy. They were in, in the same Hanoi Hilton for a while. They were among the Alcatraz 11, um, 11 leaders of the resistance that um, that the Vietnamese separated and, and were particularly cruel to. But they did try to do the same thing with Denton. Uh, they put him on TV and they wanted him to denounce the U.S. and, and talk about how well he was treated. And same thing, he's, he's what, what do I have control of? What can I do? And so he pretended to be bothered by the bright lights of the TV cameras. And he, and he blinked incessantly and seemingly randomly. But back home, people realized he was sending the world a message in Morse code with his blinks, that they were all being tortured. And so he took that propaganda opportunity for his enemy and turned it into a weapon for himself. Yeah, and that was the, the the irony of that moment was was absolutely huge because it changed everything. The the North Vietnamese were telling the American Congress and the government there's no torture going on, and for some reason the American government was buying into it. And so as they sat there and they watched this, it changed everything. All of a sudden, his wife starts testifying before Congress. I mean, right. just small little acts and starts setting the vote in a whole different direction. Let's just take a look at this here real quickly here at some points that we can help uh, leaders. Number one, accept the reality, as you've said here, Ted, very tough, horrible situation that you're in. Okay, it's tough. It's really, really bad. It's really, it's really challenging. Second, don't, don't take the foolish optimistic uh, position and set unrealistic deadlines as to when things are going to get better, when things are going to turn around. This is new territory. Let's be honest about it. We just don't know how to get through this. Three, Find new innovative ways to help your team to hold together. This is where your leadership starts coming in. Let's sit down and talk. Let's discuss it. How are we going to work this out together? That's where that connection starts to happen with your team. Then discover new and creative ways to help each other recover and become more resilient. Another big play. How do we become more resilient? Bounce back. It's not going to go away suddenly. It's not going to one day it's going to be 
gone, it's going to be a series of rebounds that are going to be taking place. Then finally here, five, figure out how to communicate the truth of what is going on and bring new help, cooperation, collaboration, and especially in the toughest of times, dark night of the soul stuff, because it's going to probably get worse before it gets better. That's going to be the truth of the matter. Rich, what do you, what do you take on what we're talking about here? You know, we've talked a little bit about this before. Um, there are a lot of leaders these days who are basically in the toughest situations they've ever been in. Uh, coming out of 2020, COVID-19, uh, 15, 16, 17 months ago, we had no idea where we were going to be. But yet, you know, here we are. We're, we're, we're here. But we've got leadership is the highest, uh, highest leadership turnovers uh, in, that it's ever been. We've got huge problems with employee retention, people wanting to work from home, not wanting to come back in the office, uh, completely different office politics, policies, you know, supply chain disruptions, name it. And even the, the supply chain disruptions, when we are able to get stuff, how much more does it cost and how much longer do we have to wait? So there's a lot of stress going on with leaders nowadays, especially some of these new emerging leaders that maybe got put into leadership positions during this time and not really certain how to get out of this or how to move forward effectively. You know, so, you know, what kind of business leaders, any kind of business leaders um, that do you know that can create some prosperity, productivity, um, predictability, hope for their, their organizations? Ted, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, I think leadership is universal, whether it's a family, an industry, whatever it is. And, and we can learn a lot from Admiral Stockdale, Jeremiah Denton, and the others and their experiences that are applicable to day-to-day -day business or challenges, whether or not we will ever be in situations as dire as theirs. You think about one of the first things that Stockdale did was he reestablished communication. Um, the Vietnamese had learned that communication can be bad if you let your enemy communicate. So they did a lot of solitary confinement. They split them up. And so that communication gave them a sense of community. They knew what the parameters were. They knew what the goals were. They knew what their new culture was. They knew what their tactics as well as their strategy was. And, and probably maybe more important than any of it was the encouragement that came through that communication. That they, they bowied each other up. They, they didn't baby each other. They didn't make any excuses. But they bowed each other up. They strengthened each other. They helped each other. They, they strengthened each other's resolve. So a leader needs to do that, needs to know how to communicate and communicate the vision. And a leader, especially today, uh, you talk about all this uncertainty, COVID and everything else that's going on and how people are just rethinking careers and how they, they work and how business is done. A leader has to, and here's another paradox, they, they have to be flexibly constant, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> they need to be flexible enough to, to deal with the changing circumstances, but they need to be consistent. They need to be constant, I should say, better, more than consistent. People need to know they can be trusted, right? These POWs knew they could trust Stockdale. Stockdale was going to go through everything they went through. He was not going to waver. He was not going to compromise his values or his principles. If they were worth having, then they were worth having under the most arduous of circumstances. So if you're going to be a good leader, be constant, be honest, be a good communicator, be steady. Give people a rallying point. Help them see the vision. Help them understand they can succeed. They can do great things in their circle of influence, however small that circle of influence may be. And wherever you have control, take control. 
you, you know, not all not all supervisors are, are, are not all leaders are supervisors. There's leaders at every every level of an organization. But if you're in a position of leadership, you have a moral obligation to lead. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and leadership is not, hey, follow me. Leadership yeah. is this is where we're going. Let me help you get there. Exactly. That's what I wanted to add. just put yeah. that in. I, I really appreciate that. I'm in it with you. Let's go. Talk to us a little bit. You wanted to talk about Elizabeth Smart and how she handled a really tough situation. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Admiral Stockdale is one of my personal heroes and so is Elizabeth Smart. And, and many of our leaders are listening out there maybe thinking, yeah, that's great, but I'm not an Admiral Stockdale or a Jeremiah Denton. I don't have that training and that focus and, and that toughness that comes from being a combat veteran. And I, I just don't know that I could respond that way. I think that there is one very clear commonality, if you will, between these two very different persons. Elizabeth Smart was, what, 11, 12, maybe 13 years old? I think she was 14. 14. 14 yeah. Kidnapped from her home in the middle of the night by two literally lunatics. And uh, she was horribly uh, sexually abused, brutally, multiple times a day, every day for nine months. And I was listening to an interview with her. And, and these are this is commonality. It's a forward phrase that both of these people utter. I'm listening to Elizabeth Smart being interviewed. And she said, the first time he raped me, I realized he took he could take everything away from me except my faith in God and the love of my family. I knew my family would never stop looking for me. And here are these four words that they both uttered. Admiral Stockdale is falling out of a burning plane, knows what's facing him, thinks about his, his family. And he says, and so I decided I will triumph. Elizabeth Smart talks about this. My family will never stop looking for me. And she said the exact same four words. And so I decided. Neither of these people had any right to believe they could decide anything. But they both made that statement. You've got a 14-year-old schoolgirl and a combat-hardened veteran. You don't have to be a James Stockdale to be as tough as him or as effective as him. I, I, I have so much respect for Elizabeth Smart and James Stockdale. Just, I'm not tearing up. That's ridiculous. But, <laughs> you know, um, just just an immense amount of respect for both of them. So it doesn't matter what your experience is. You've got it inside of you. If you want to apply it, you decide. You decide how you're going to lead. You decide how you're going to react to the things that happen around you and to you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks, Ted. That's just beautiful. All right. So we're going to move this now. Just step forward here. So when an anxiety and fears are high, along with unpredictability, having outs an outside pair of eyes looking in can be invaluable. And so leaders, you've got some opportunities. You go to mentors, you can bring in business consultants, and you can get yourself an executive coach. Rich, I'd like what you, I'd like you to do this. Is this make the case, and then I'm going to ask you to do the same thing here, Ted. What's the case for bringing in an executive coach to assist you? And then, you know, from that, how that ripples out, assist you in your and your team to develop these new norms, these new ways of developing behavior and communication, et cetera, et cetera. Give us the, give us the, uh, the pitch on that. What's, what's that about? You know, I, I don't know that it has so much to do with a coach. Well, it does, but it, it has a lot to do with experience. You know, most of these coaches you know, have years and years of experience in dealing with a lot of these different situations, these different uh, issues that arise in, in business. And because of that, we're able to have those tough conversations and help people see what's coming if they continue to work hard, if they continue to focus on the end. Uh, 
it's hard to do that sometimes without somebody standing there with you and helping you on that journey. And that's what an executive coach does. Uh, I think there's a lot of misconception about what a coach does. We don't just come in and have a seminar a day or two, you know, throw up a few PowerPoints. We're there for the journey. We're there to help them uh, learn what their, their strengths are, where their gaps are, uh, what their stakeholders are feeling about them, and then help develop a plan to move forward. A plan in a lot of ways based on experience, based on our own experience. And that's that's invaluable. I mean, there's not one of us here that didn't have somebody standing by our side to help us to that next level. We've all had coaches. We've all had mentors. And, you know, because of that, we're able to pass that experience on and that passion for being successful <coughs> at the end of the difficult time. You know, and seeing the success that, that are there, seeing the, the abilities that you're going to be able to create, seeing everybody around you grow along with you. That's what a coach can do. Excellent. Good. Ted, what's your take on it? Uh, I would just say ditto. Um, but, uh, you know, I, <clears throat> so many things a coach can do for you, but uh, I, I would bring it back to uh, the Stockdale paradox that we talked about, right? Uh, confronting the brutal facts of your situation. It's difficult sometimes to look at yourself honestly, sure. but if a executive, a leader is going to be effective, they have to look at themselves honestly. They have to see where the potential derailing tendencies are. They have to see where they've got weaknesses. They also need to leverage their strength. Rich talked about that in developing the plan, right? That helps you bolster the faith that you're going to prevail and it actually gets you there. But often people need some help, not in a harsh way, but in a very honest and open way. Here's, here's the brutal facts of your leadership style or your traits or whatever is you as a, you as your inner core Here's some things you need to absolutely be aware of, or there's no point in having faith that you can fix it if you can't identify it. Yeah, and both of you mentioned something that's really key that I want people to understand, this idea of developing a plan. This is not a cookie cutter. This no. is going to be an individual leadership development plan based around you, based upon your organization, your organization's needs, and your needs. It's very individualistic. There's a lot of, before we put that plan in place, there's a lot of work that your coach is going to do to gather up the information, to see what it's all about, what's going on, who you are, and how you work. And then, then that, play, that plan is going to be put together. And then that plan will be implemented with an agreement between you, that is, and your executive coach. So it's, it's very individualistic. It's not just, here, let me, let's turn to page five. You know what I'm yeah. saying? None of that. None of that at all. There's all no right. computer that's going to spit out your plan. No, there's not. You're going to have to earn that one. No. <laughs> Ted? Someone wants to get a hold of you. They want to talk to you, the man here. How are they going to do that? You, you know, probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is go to my website. My phone number's there. My email's there. Um, that website is tedturner.intelligentleadershipec.com. tedturner.intelligentleadershipec.com. All right. Excellent. Well, Rich, you know what to do. Hey, everybody. Once again, thank you so much, Ted. You know, I was really looking forward to this conversation today. It was a very enlightening, um, very enlightening conversation. And thank you very much for being here. Thank uh, you, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, our our uh, contact information is going to be follow right after this podcast. It's on. It's It's been added to the end now. And so I'll tell you what, we'd love to hear from you. We want to hear from you one way or the other. If you have any, you know, complaints, concerns, 
comments, something you want to hear on an upcoming episode, let us know and reach out to us. We'd love to, we'd love to hear from you and talk to you and help you on the, on your journey to that next step. So once again, thank you for being here and uh, again, take care and thank you very much. We'll see you again soon. Have a great 4th of July weekend. Guys. Yeah. All yes. the and remember Stockdale on the 5th, that's the anniversary of his death. Uh-huh. Wow. Thanks. Thank you very much. With all of the issues facing leaders and organizations today, you need executive coaching more than ever. Go to our websites, richbarronexecutivecoaching.com or michaelbailey.com. You can also find us both on LinkedIn. Reach out to us and let's sit down and find out just how bright your future can be with executive coaching. We'd also like to thank all of our supporters in over 60 countries and 600 cities worldwide who have helped to make us one of the top executive coaching podcasts in the world. From Rich Barron and Michael Bailey, this is Mainline Executive Coaching ACT. Thank you and take care.